Good morning, Sojourner. Uh, it's good to see everybody here. Um, just want to welcome everyone to service and uh, just say hello. Uh, also, I just uh, I noticed we have a visitor here on online. I just want to welcome you as well, Julie, um, as much as I can on Zoom. Uh, it's good to see you there and to to join join Sojourner uh, for the service today. But um, <clears throat> so what we're doing is last week we uh, looked at some verses actually that come after this passage. And we talked about um, what Jesus was looking for um, and uh, what we ought to be looking for when we think about pursuing Jesus Christ and pursuing our faith. And what we're doing now is we're looking more carefully now at the actual miracle. And we've been here before. Um, we, we looked at this passage before, but here's, here's what I want to do. Not just today, but actually in the next few weeks, um, as you know, we are still preparing to do an in-person worship. I'm not sure exactly when exactly that's gonna happen, um, but we're gonna actually start preparing uh, for that, not just uh, as the reopening committee continues to uh, pray and to meet, uh, to figure out when the best time is, <coughs> but um, also I need to prepare for the, the ministries that we're doing. And so what we're gonna do is in the next couple, um, even maybe next couple months actually, is pretty much reboot everything in terms of uh, the ministries and the, the, the service committees that we've been doing. Um, we haven't really been in person to be able to serve in person um, because we haven't been meeting in person. And so it's been a while, probably, I think almost a year, maybe by the time we meet over a year. And so what I'm gonna do is just kind of reboot everything, scratch everything, uh, except for those who are already serving currently over Zoom. Um, for every one of us, um, whether, whether it's on a committee or leading a committee, consider yourselves uh, relieved from that duty because uh, we need to revisit some of these things. And what I want to do is to start over uh, before we meet and to reorganize those groups and those committee groups so that we can start afresh with uh, a little more purpose and a little more uh, initiative, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about serving, right? Uh, generally, we're going to look at here in this passage, what it means to serve, why we should serve, you know, the good reason to serve. And then in the following weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at each of these ministries that we have in our church and why they're important to us. And we want to actually sort of make a pitch for those of us here who, who want to serve and, and serve in those committees and particularly in the areas of those leadership. Now, if you want to re-sign up for, for a committee that you've already been serving in a year ago, that, that's perfectly fine. But I think uh, we need to get our heads straight and look at what we're doing and why we're doing it and continue to uh, work towards serving the church together um, as we look forward to meeting and worshiping in person. So that's what we're going to do today uh, and in the following months. And here in this passage, then, as we look at what it means, I think an important part of what it means to serve, um, maybe you have been serving uh, before, maybe you're thinking about serving or uh, serving the church, doing something in the church, or, or you or you're currently are doing something in the church. And I think this passage tells us something a little important uh, about what not to miss and how to approach serving. And we look at this from this, this what we call a miracle, what John calls a sign. You know the story, right? Here... Um, Jesus is preaching and teaching to a lot of people, right? 5,000 men, we were told. And they're hungry, and he feeds them. 
he feeds them by doing this miracle, by taking like five loaves of bread, a couple of fish, and he does this miracle. He multiplies the food and the disciples are the ones that hand them out and everyone gets fed. And not only that, they actually had leftovers. And so I think people were amazed and that's why they wanted to make him king. As you just heard the passage that was read by Boyun, um, they wanted to pursue him as king because he made food for them so that they could eat, right? That's a pretty good reason. But what you see here, if you kept re reading this passage, after this miracle, there are two types of people, okay? There's a type that continued to follow Jesus after this miracle, and then there's a type who stopped. Um, there are those who rejected Jesus Christ after Jesus told them what the miracle was really about, that it was really about him. They stumbled over his identity. Um, they wanted to eat bread, but they couldn't accept him as the, the son of God. And so at the end of the day, we are told that a lot of those people who experienced, I guess, a quote unquote, a miracle, turn away from Jesus Christ. And so if you're thinking, well, you know, if God gave me a miracle, if, Je if Jesus showed me a miracle today, I would definitely be a better Christian or I would definitely be a Christian. Not necessarily so, because all these people, they're eating the food and eating the bread, witnessing the miracle in front of their face, uh, end up walking away. Uh, they, they reject Jesus Christ. But the other group of people on the other side is Peter and the apostles uh, and the 11, you could say. And you know, we're told in later on in these verses that they're the ones that actually recognize Jesus. Jesus asked them, are you going to go away too? And Peter responds along with the apostles and they say, Jesus, where would we go? Uh, you've got the bread that we need. You are the Holy One of God. And they see no option but to follow Jesus, right? And so the question that we need to ask is this, why did they stay? All those people, including the apostles, witnessed this great miracle, and yet most of them walk away and say, you know what, you know, the food was good, but I'm not going to follow Jesus. And yet here are these bunch of guys, and they say, no, we're going to follow you, right? We're going we're gonna, to, you know, follow after you. And the question we need to ask is, how did that happen? Uh, what's the difference between them and the rest? Why did they stay? Right. And many of us might know if you've been in the church, you might say something like, well, you know, they, they confess Jesus Christ because they kind of came to terms who Jesus was. And really, God was moving in their hearts and the Holy Spirit opened their minds and drew those people to him. And that's why they they stayed with Jesus Christ. Well, yes, theoretically or theologically, that might be true. But let's look at it more practically. And what we're going to do in this passage, in this miracle here, is not just focus on Jesus, but let's focus on the disciples. Let's focus on those guys that were actually handing out the bread and, and the fish to all those people. Because here, Jesus says to Philip and to the other disciples, he asked them directly, where are we going to find bread for all these people to eat? He sees these people on the grass. They're, they're, they're hungry. He has compassion on them, we're told in the other Gospels. And he asks the disciples, what are we going to do about food? And in the other Gospels, the instruction is more direct. He says, you give them something to eat. Now, think about this, this situation here. There are, we're told, 5,000 men. But the Gospel of Matthew says that there's also included women and children. And so you actually have more than 5,000 men. Um, if you include the women and the children, you may even have up to 20,000 people. 20,000 people there sitting on the grass listening to Jesus Christ, right? That's a large group of people. And so you would think, then how are they going to feed all those people? It, it's an impossible task. So Philip says, well, Jesus, we've got, you know, here, 200 denarii. 200 denarii, that's, that's their monetary value, 200 denarii, just for some perspective, 200 denarii in Jesus' time back then was about eight months 
wages, okay? Eight months wages, which he says probably wouldn't be enough to give each person here even a, a bite. Now, what is that eight month wages? Well, let's do some math here and suppose that maybe conservatively an adjusted annual salary of a laborer is around 30,000 a year. You've got eight months, so that's about 20,000 here. 20,000 a year wouldn't be enough uh, to give each person a bite. If there's 20,000 people, that's about a dollar per person. And it feels basically saying, Jesus, we, we can't do this. We can't do this. Andrew there listening to the conversation says, hey, Jesus, you know what? Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how are they going to go among so many? And so I don't think Andrew's trying to be helpful. I see he's almost kind of being sarcastic. He said, well, we got this poor boy's lunch here, barley loaves, which are cheaper than regular bread, implying it's a poor boy's lunch, and two small fish, probably pickled side dishes to flavor the bread. And so it was a small lunch. And even if it was a big lunch, how are you going to feed 20,000 people? And so Jesus' request for the disciples to feed the crowd was, was ridiculous in their eyes. It's not practical. Uh, it, it, it's impossible. It's like being told that, you know, you got a McDonald's value meal and you're told that to feed everyone in the church with one value meal, even if you supersized it, right? You're not going to have 20,000 meals. It's, it's impossible. It's like being told, you know, giving a, a, a med student a, a bottle of Tylenol and a pack of Band-Aids and then telling him to go treat everyone in America with COVID. It's not going to work, is it? It's not going to work. It's like you're given a hammer and a couple of nails and you're told, hey, I want you to rebuild the Twin Towers. It's a joke. It can't happen, can it? And so as you think about the disciples and what they're thinking, you zoom in on them and what happens? Well, they're passing out the bread, right? Skeptical, all the time, skeptical. And imagine as they are passing out the food, thinking to themselves, you know, this is not going to work. We're not going to have enough. We're going to run out so quickly. I've got this little piece of bread, this little piece of fish. How am I going to pass all of this out to all of these people? But sure enough, somehow the food multiplies. And every time they thought they were going to run out, they get more. They have more. In fact, at the end of this feeding, we're told that they've got 12 basketfuls left over. And I take that to mean that each disciple filled a basketful of leftover food. And so imagine in the beginning of the story, the disciples are thinking, this is ridiculous. It's not going to happen, Jesus. What are you thinking? And then after the disciples feed the, the people on the, on the lawn or the grass, it's become amazement. It was skepticism, and now it's become amazement. One moment they're shaking their heads saying, this is impossible. This is crazy. There's no way. And a little while later, their backs are aching because their baskets are still full of food that they've picked up. And I think for the disciples then, it was a powerful moment that they experienced personally what God was doing as they served those people. This wasn't just some removed and distance, distant experience that the disciples had of what God was doing. They were personally involved, physically involved as they handed out bread and did the work. And I think they were emotionally involved as well. Jesus here didn't just give the disciples a lecture or, or a Bible study on what it means to be faithful and, and what it means to live with power. He gave them a testimony. 
He gave them a personal experience and expected them. It affected something within them. They were moved, not just in an intellectual way, but in a deeply personal, even emotional way. And it happened. It all happened as they were handing out bread, as they were serving. After this whole event, the disciples didn't say, you are the Holy One of God because they heard a convincing lecture. Or even because they saw the miracle, because the crowd saw the miracle and they walked away. But they had this personal experience of God and God affected them from within their hearts, not just observed from far away, but as they were personally involved. You see, here's the question. When does God break through the pages of scripture and the points of theology and invade my world? When does the God of the Bible become my God? Right? The God of the universe becomes someone that I say is my shepherd, whom I shall not want. I've heard, you know, many times how God does amazing things in the world and for different people, and how he does things in a mysterious way. And I, and I believe God could do that, right? I think he can do that if he wanted to. But to be honest, even though I think that's great, it doesn't personally affect me as much. It doesn't affect me until it's my family, until it's my children or it's my parents, or it's my work. And when those things happen in my life, that's when I don't just say, yes, you know what, I hear God can provide for people. That doesn't affect me. But it's when, that, when those things happen, that's when I say, yes, I've got my personal testimony. I've got my story. I've got my personal experience. Here's the thing. Christianity needs to be more than just some religious philosophy. It's more than just some abstract set of doctrine or theology or teaching. It's, it's, it's more than just a, a system of thought or some paradigm of ethics and, and love. Christianity, in order to flourish, it needs to be a relationship. It needs to be about a person. It's not what is Christianity, but who? Who is Christianity? Who do we personally get involved with? And I think just as the disciples were given a personal testimony, in one way or another, God gives us all testimonies of this sort. Maybe not in the most miraculous ways, but certainly in the mundane, in the day-to-day. -day. You know, that word of encouragement that you receive out of nowhere from some person just when you needed it is the presence of God, that, that act of love or that act of care to you um, just when you needed it the most uh, was encouraging to you is the presence of God. You look at the family that you have or, or, or the parents that you have who are still healthy or the children that are growing right in front of your eyes and, and you look at them not just as a responsibility, but you say, that's God's given gift to me in my life. Every day we get up and we still see the sunrise, no matter what's happening out there in the world, we still get to breathe. Is the presence and the grace of God, right? Even the problems that we go through, the, the hard things that we go through, oftentimes in retrospect, we say, well, that, that's where God was there. We just didn't always see it. We experience God every day, even when we think our life sometimes feels impossible. You know, I could think of our church. And I'll be very honest, you know, in the first five, even maybe 10 years of our church, there are points in my life where I keep thinking, you know what, as I started this church or as we started the church, I, I don't know if this is going to work. You don't know how many times I've thought, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if we're going to last. I don't know if 
you know, we're going to make this happen. And that was 13 years ago, 13 years ago. And in retrospect, it's because of God, but it's because of you, because of those who serve. It's because we witness what God is doing, even though we feel like in any other situation, this may not work. It's a personal testimony we all have. And this is one reason why God wants you to pray, because he wants you to get involved, to get personally, subjectively, even emotionally involved, so that when he answers, or however he answers, you and I, we become personally affected. God becomes real, not just here in my head, but he becomes real in my heart, in my life, because of these experiences that we have. And I want to tell you, right, maybe not in some miraculous way, but you and I, we all have some testimony of how God has worked in our life. And here in our passage, we see that one of the ways God gives us these things is not just also in prayer, but look at the disciples. Look at the disciples as they draw or drew closer to Jesus Christ personally, confessing that he is the Holy One of God. How did they do this? How did they experience this? They experienced this as they served. Think about it. Why did Jesus do this miracle at this point in time? You know, John doesn't call it a miracle, like we said last week. He calls it a sign. But why did Jesus do this event at this point in time? Yes, he had compassion, and he saw hungry people, and he wanted to feed them. That's a wonderful reason. But ask yourself the question as you read this passage, who was the feeding really for? Who was the feeding really for? Because when you think about this event, about how the crowd gets hungry, about how Jesus had to feed them, when you think about this, you think about the immensity of the work, the impossibility of the task, and you think about the disciples, the poor guys who had to do this job, right? Feeding all those people who had to serve, going around, feeding all these people just sitting there on the grass. When you're in that kind of position or that role, then of course, your focus is on those people that you are serving, right? Who here is serving? Well, it's Jesus and the disciples. They're the ones giving bread. They're serving. Who's the ones receiving? Well, in this story, it's the people sitting on the lawn. They're the ones eating the bread and the fish. They're the ones receiving, right? And that's how oftentimes we think, even when we serve. But what you see in this passage is this, that things are not always what they seem. We think this about the crowd trying to feed them. And, you know, in verses 5 to 6, Jesus asked the disciples a question. He says, where are we going to buy all this bread to feed all these people? And we're told in these verses, in verse 6, he asked this only to test them. Only to test them. To test the disciples. He knew what he was going to do, Jesus. But he asked them to test who? The disciples. And here's something to think about. Perhaps for Jesus... Even though the disciples, their agenda, their focus was getting those people fed. Perhaps for for the people sitting on the grass, their agenda, their goal was just to get bread and get fed and fill their stomachs. But perhaps for Jesus, as you look at these verses here in verse 5 and 6, he had a different agenda. He had a different focus. What if Jesus' focus here was not on those receiving the bread or eating the bread and fish, but on those who are giving it, on those who are serving. 
What if Jesus' purpose here in doing this miracle was not to feed 5,000? That wasn't his ultimate goal. But maybe his purpose, as he asked the disciples directly, who's going to feed these people, and directly to test them, maybe his purpose was for those who were giving the bread and not for those who were eating the bread. You know, I I've, I've thought of... A similar thing, like like those of us who've been on those short-term mission trips, and oftentimes, you know, you go on a short-term mission trip, you know, you visit some country, some some poor third-world country, and you're thinking you're going to go there, and you're going to change their world in two weeks, right? Never going to happen, not most likely, right? It, it's, it's not going to happen, but what often happens is, rather than you changing a world in two weeks, you come back, and your heart is changed or is affected. That the real ministry on a trip like that may not be in what mission teams do for people, but the real ministry is what happens to the hearts of those who actually go. God's blessing then may not be for uh, the natives or for the nationals as much as you know we want to do things for them, but it might also be for those missionaries who go. In other words, here's what we're trying to say. Sometimes God's interaction, his work, his testimonies come not in the eating of the bread, but in the passing out of the bread. That for Jesus, the focus, the agenda, the real ministry here is not for those who are receiving, but it's for those who are serving. It was for the disciples to give them a glimpse of who Jesus is as they did the hard and difficult task, the impossible work of feeding those people. Think about this. If you, if you serve, if you're ever serving or been in on the side of serving, do you think that all the action is on the side of those you serve? Do you think that all the action is on the side of the congregation? You know, even if I think about my own life as I prepare sermons or Bible studies and, and I'm thinking, you know, I hope it's received well, that it's for them. But oftentimes maybe they don't get anything out of it. I'm the one most blessed because I've learned the most in my what? Preparation. That perhaps... The real action is not on the side who receive, but on the side who serve, right? Think about this carefully, right? Think about this. Who gets more blessing? Whose lives are really changing here? Is it the Bible study leader who prepares the Bible study or is it the students, right? Those of you who are serving in branch and, you know, committing all that time to the kids, are the kids' life changing? Are they doing a miraculous change? Or is it your life as you prepare week in and week out or month in and month out for them? Ask yourselves, if you've ever been in a church with, with church vans, whose life is changing? Is it those who get picked up by church vans every Sunday whose lives are changing? Or is it those who are driving those vans every morning whose lives are being blessed and changed? Is it the people that we're trying to reach out to whose lives are, are, are changing and are being blessed, right? Or is it those who are reaching out and trying to reach out whose lives are being molded and shaped by God and being blessed? Even in our church, is it visitors who visit our church who get greeted maybe just for a minute or so by the welcoming community? Are their lives changing and being blessed? Or is it the welcoming committee who has to prepare every Sunday, week in and week out, even just to greet God's people? 
Is it those of us who get to participate in some fellowship event that we may or may not be interested in? Or is it the fellowship committee who put in hours and thought and preparation and planning into every event whose lives are being blessed and changed? Sometimes God's purpose, God's main ministry may not be on the side of those who receive, but on the side of those who are giving. More than wanting to provide Bible studies to students, maybe God wants to build humility and character in his teachers. Maybe more than just wanting to provide fellowship and community to members, which is important, God wants to shape conviction in its leaders. And here in our passage, more than just wanting to feed bread to a bunch of people who don't even stick around, God wanted to build faith in the disciples. This was the hand of God drawing them to himself to make them confess, you are the Holy One of God. And they found that as they served. And it's as we get involved and as we take risks, and as we get more invested in the church, in God's kingdom, then we too become more personally affected by what God does and can do. Our hearts become more involved. And then this is then becomes not just the goodness of God that we kind of observe from a distance, but this is the goodness of God that you and I are able to participate in. Do you want to experience God in a personal, intimate, and, and, and real and practical way? Maybe one of those ways is by serving others, to be a part of his work. Don't just sit on your grass waiting for bread to be handed out to you. Be one. Be one of those who are passing bread out. You know, as we look forward to, to getting back to church and, and looking to reboot and reorganize, you know, serving, those of you know, many in our church who, who have already been serving for so long, you know how hard it can be, how mundane, how routine, you know how thankless it could be, right? That you do it every week and sometimes no one recognizes you feel like, you know, sometimes you wonder if it's even making a difference. You wonder as it's difficult to do it, right? But what we're being told here in this passage, as routine, as mundane, as difficult, sometimes almost impossible it is, the work that we have to do. It's also a place where you and I who serve might be blessed by God himself and experience his joy. So I think here, as we look at the disciples, I think after the end of this work, they were amazed by the bread and the fish. I think they were freaked out. And they had just witnessed this miracle, this sign. But more than that, it was their own hands that passed the food out. But here's the point. At some point, eventually, it was more than just about doing the impossible for them. It was more than just about this miracle. They, the disciples, eventually had to see beyond the food. They had to see beyond all those people. They had to come to a point where they see Jesus Christ, and they eventually see him, and they confess later on in verse 66, we believe, and now we know that you are the Holy One of God. 
You know, the Bible study can be such a blessing. The ministry, the mission trip was so amazing. Uh, maybe my character is, is matured. I'm so blessed. Maybe my parents have retirement money. My children are, 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 are doing well in school. My, my brother or sister is now healed from sickness. All wonderful blessings. But the problem is for many of us is that we are so excited about the blessings, the miracles, or the fruits of our ministry that we don't always come to Jesus and confess to him, Jesus, you, you are the one, the Holy One of God. We don't always confess, Jesus, you are the bread that I need to live on. Not my friends, not, not my job, not my possessions, not my positions, not my people, but you. And it's great. It's, it's, you're commanded to come to God when you need something, all right? Absolutely. When you need help, when you need to seek his will and your desires and your hope, you're, you're commanded to come to God and to ask when you think you might need something that only he can do and only he can give. But here's the thing. There needs to be at some point in our Christian life where we come to God, not just to get things from him, but simply just to get him. Where we stop only looking for what God can do for us and look at what he's already done for us and then to love him just for him. That's a loving relationship, isn't it? That's what we all want in all our relationships. Because if we don't do this, if we're only having a relationship with someone just because we think they could do something for us or give something for us, then you and I, we're nothing but mercenaries and manipulators. Only liking God when he does what we think we like. And nobody wants a relationship like that. And so we need to see beyond all these people, beyond the baskets of fish and the leftover bread, beyond even the disciples. In other words, we need to see beyond the gifts to the giver as the disciples did. And then come to a point to be able to confess, Jesus, you really are the Holy One of God. Who else will we go to get real bread? Now, what does this have to do with service? I want to encourage you to serve because, you know, we, we do need to serve. And as we reboot, and as we think about all these ministries and things that we need to do and what's involved in the following weeks, uh, we want to encourage you to serve because we do need help. Uh, the church does not work because of me. It works because of you, <clears throat> because of us, and of course, because of God working through us. Um, and, and so serving is needed, is important. But here's the way I think we need to serve, okay? We're given the way here. The application here is this, that even in your serving, as hard and as difficult, sometimes thankless as it can be, in a sense, in a deeper, more spiritual sense, you and I are still receiving. We're still receiving. And as we serve, and as you serve, thinking about people or church that we're serving, perhaps we need to remind ourselves that maybe God's agenda is not always for the people that you're serving, but it's for those of us who are serving. As we serve, God wants us to see him, to know him practically, to feel a little what it's like to be like Jesus, right? A servant who knew how hard it is to serve faithfully, who knew what it meant to serve sacrificially as he gave himself for on a cross, even when people he served were ungrateful unthankful, and unfaithful. Perhaps God wants us to serve 
because he wants to invade or disrupt or inconvenience our lives in a real and personal way so that we might know him, that he is the faithful one, not people, that he is the provider, not people, that he is the deliverer, he's our hope, he's our savior, not anyone else. And so I wanna encourage you as we think about ways we can serve our church or serve our neighbor to pursue serving, not just because we need help or someone needs help, but to get involved in his work, to pursue it, not just for people, not just with some sense of duty or responsibility, which is important, but also to pursue serving with a sense of joy and eagerness. Why? Knowing that in your service is where the Lord is pleased. And in your serving, you and I, is where we are personally, intimately, sometimes difficultly, if that's such a word, unexpectedly in our serving, we are the ones who are blessed. And so as we think about ministering and serving one another in the church and even outside the church, I encourage you to look at this passage again and ask yourselves the question, who is one, who are the ones who are really receiving here? Is it those who are eating bread on the grass, right? Or is it those who are passing it out? And as we think about this, I pray that the Lord move your heart to serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so